0: Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 164 Becoming a Story Genius, an interview with Lisa Krohn, an encore episode coming to you on Thursday, November 7th, 2019. You may be able to tell from my voice, I am quite sick, so I apologize. But uh, this is one of my favorite episodes of the entire podcast, and I thought it would be a great one to get you all inspired while you're writing for National Novel Writing Month. So here's a great interview with Lisa Crone. Have a great week. Lisa wrote an amazing book called Wired for Story, and then she followed it up with another amazing book called Story Genius. And I am telling you, this woman will make you so excited about whatever it is that you're writing that you practically won't even be able to finish listening to to the interview because you'll want to stop it and just get back to your book. That's how I felt when I listened to her speak a couple of months ago. And then when I interviewed her and then just editing the episode and listening to again, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so just inspired and on fire to just go write more and, and write better and really improve. And it, you can tell, I'm just so excited. So I really hope you inter- you enjoy this interview. Lisa is fun. She's interesting. She's thoughtful and thought provoking. And, uh, and it's just a great interview. You're going to love it. I promise it's going to make you want to just go work on your book right away. Enjoy it and we'll talk to you later. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Lisa Krone. Lisa has worked as a literary agent, TV producer, and story consultant for Warner Brothers and the William Morris a- Agency. She, she teaches in the UCLA Extension Writers Program and is on the faculty of the School of Visual Arts MFA and Visual Narrative Program. The author of Wired for Story, Krone splits her time between Santa Monica and New York City. Welcome, Lisa. Hello. It's a pleasure. Hello. I'm so glad you're here. You and I just actually met in person for the first time. I think just last month, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was <laughs> that was really kind of fun and wonderful. It was a great day at the uh, at the Orange County Romance Writers Association.
0: That's right. That's right. And you were talking about I think that you the way that you divided up your talk a little bit kind of came from both your books, Wired for Story and Story Genius. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, because Wired for Story was basically. I wouldn't say it was so much theory, but it's the here's how it works. And then, you know, when I'd written that, um, and it was, and it came out, and I, I like, I, I always tell everybody, it is so important to work with a book coach. Like, do not just write by yourself. Work with a coach. And I work with a coach, Jenny Nash. And when that book came out, she said to me, and I just wanted, oh, this is so great. I just don't want to think about anything. And she said, no, 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 <laughs> you can't just say, now that you've written it. How do you teach it? Like, what do you want people to actually? do? How do we put this into something where you can start and go forward? And so I started to put together a way to teach it. And I started to do workshops. And then that became Story Genius. I I wasn't even thinking of writing another book, but my editor at 10 Speed, um, and 10 Speed really only publishes nonfiction. And she decided she wanted to try her hand at, at writing fiction herself. And she said, I have read all these books on how to write, you know, fiction and how to outline and had it and i think none of them are helping you know do you want to write do you think you could write a book do you i think you could do it because of wired for story and i made the mistake that every every protagonist makes at the beginning i thought it would be easy (laughs) I went, of course, I could do it in my sleep, to be the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, But that's the difference. Story genius really is a um, step-by-step how to, starting either with, you know, the first glimmer of an idea and then how to develop what you need to develop in order to, you know, to actually write a novel, to have a story to tell, Or I think it works really well. And a a lot of the clients, the people I work with one-on-one as a story coach come in where they've already written a draft and maybe it's like the third or fourth draft and they know it's not working and they don't know why. And so we start to work together and almost always it becomes, (laughs) let me say always, (laughs) always. it becomes a page one rewrite. Yeah. Uh, so that it becomes, I think it can be used as a diagnostic if things aren't working. And again, often it shows you, yeah, that, that wasn't going to work to begin with. Yeah. But even if you're halfway through, it kind of will be, allow you to answer the questions to develop the, the material, the story, so that you actually have something, you know, to write about, to say there, there, there's a there there. And, right. You know, what most manuscripts become, which is a bunch of things that happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, reading your Bible, uh, I keep saying Bible today, (laughs) reading your bio, um, you have a lot of interesting things going on or or have over the course of time. And I also, you know, was living in LA doing some film and TV work. So I'm more familiar with what you do. But can you tell us, like, how did you get started on this idea? First of all, I mean, your idea is pretty different from a lot of the other how to write a story ideas out there.
1: I don't think there are many how to write a story ideas. There are how to write a story idea based on start on page one and now here's how to write. The way that, that I came at it is that I've spent you know, most of my career until I started doing this in, in either publishing as a, I worked in publishing and I worked as a literary agent. And then for a long time, I was reading books to film for uh, the William Morris Agency. Back when it was just called, you know before it was William Morris Endeavor, you know it was just William Morris and Warner Brothers and, and, and a lot of other studios. And... And because I had to I mean I read thousands and thousands of manuscripts and most of them I mean I've worked on screenplays also but most of them were books it was books to film and and it wasn't just you know reading it and going "Yes, this is great," or you know no we don't want it." I had to, to say why and what I realized is that what was pulling me in and what and what was grabbing me and the way these these writers were going wrong and it was almost everybody, um, had nothing to do with what I'd been taught, had nothing to do with what I expected, had nothing to do with if the plot was rip roaring or if, you know, if the writing was lovely and luscious, it had to do with the story. And what was that? And that's something nobody was talking about, like really literally nobody. I don't think anybody teaches what I teach. And I don't say that to go, I was like, oh my God, is that bragging? But it's just <laughs> nobody else teaches it. Nobody right. goes. It. And I think that is what story is and very kind of you know a really neat you know serendipity synergy or whatever at that moment and as I was thinking that brain science you know neuroscience was having a, a real like breakthroughs all the time and I realized that kind of what I thought of as story and what we come to story for and the way we make sense of things and it was my sort of theory turned out to be you no know, that's how we process information no that yes stories no that is what we are that is kind of what the brain is and that those two things together you know made made all the difference and that's what when um you know my agent took the book to 10 speed that is exactly what my brilliant editor said she said yeah that's it she said in fact she said can you put in more brain science and i said yeah Awesome. So it, it was one of those moments. I don't know if you guys have this it's kind of like something is such a good idea, it it's almost like you're sitting in an ejector seat. Like I read the email and I sprang out of my chair and I was just pacing it <laughs> yes. And so I spent months just reading, you know, reading the neuroscience. And you know, not only are we in that that part where there, there were, especially then, so many, you know, breakthroughs and so many studies, but you know, because of the because of the internet. I could find a reference to a, to a, you know, to a paper. And within 10 minutes, I could be reading like the doctoral dissertation of somebody that was, you know, who was like cutting edge. And one really sort of sad thing is I thought, okay, okay, let me actually then also get like a textbook to see what's, you know, what is actually taught out there in terms of cognitive psychology. I wanted to really look at that. So, So I bought a textbook and textbooks are expensive. And so, so I think I spent about $150 on this book and I started reading it and it was, it was, and it was the current book that was being used 10 years out of date, uh-huh. 10 years out of date, things I was I'm going, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. No, this study over here has now proved the exact opposite. So it was, it was really kind of great to be there, you know, on the cutting, the cutting edge on that level. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was kind of what, what brought me to it.
0: Yeah. That is so interesting. Um I, I tell people all the time, you know, if I were 18, I would totally be going to college and being a neuroscience right now. But you'd oh, be in the same class. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it wasn't a thing when mm-hmm. you know, not when I was yeah, the best you could you could do, be a you could be a biologist, some sort of biology right. scientist, or you could be a psychologist, but there was nothing in the middle. Right. Um, and then I heard this speech when I was in, uh, I was living in Australia, and there was a speech by an anthropologist who I think actually was Greek and teaching at a at a school down there. And I actually uh, saved out the speech because it was so, it just hit me so hard. Like, this is exactly what I've been trying to figure out how to learn, you know. And he was saying you know this is this is his take, and this is also me trying to remember and yeah. repeat it correctly, so <laughs> I know that's uh, yeah. Butt. yeah yeah <laughs> um, but so to paraphrase him, mm-hmm. the thought was um. The very first storytellers from very first, you know, beginning of mankind, they were people who came from outside the safety of the camp saying, there's a tiger out there and he's got really long, sharp teeth. And people were like, oh, I needed to know that that will help me to stay alive. Or there are red berries out there and they will make you, you know. Like look like you're dead for three days and then you'll come back to life and people would be like, oh, that's really interesting. I really needed to know that. But then they would make the story more and more and more interesting. But the way that he said it, it hit me. That's what I read fiction for. Like, I need to know what would I do if I were, you know, captured on a pirate ship, you
1: know? Right. But the thing is, and here's the really key thing. It's like, chances are, I'm going to guess. But neither one of us are ever going to get like captured on a pirate ship right we're, if we're reading historical fiction like, n- like neither one of us are going to be like the first empress of china unless the <laughs> yeah. wayback machine a real one and we're going to go back <laughs> and, and you know we're going to but but here's the thing. Stories are 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 also about and primarily about, especially in the past hundred and fifty thousand years, um, since the need to actually, you know, belong to a group was hardwired into the way that we into our brains. It's it's a it's a, there are like people talk about lone wolves. There are no lone, there aren't even lone wolves in the wolf community. <laughs> yeah. We're all people who need people, and we are hardwired to need to belong to a tribe on that level. And what it really does is is that stories 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 tell us about human nature, because human nature remains the same. If we're talking about the Empress of China, if you're talking about what it would mean to get pulled onto a, you know, a a pirate ship, you know, if you're talking about, I'm reading right now, because I try to read like in every, in every, almost every, only a few genres, it's like, oh, please don't make me read that. (laughs) Um, but, But I'm reading for the first time, you know, The Hunger Games, and I'm really liking it, But again, now there's someone from the future, but she's us and we're her. That's what we come for. We come to every story, you know, and we're hardwired to ask in our cognitive unconscious, we don't consciously think this is, you know, what am I going to learn here that'll help me make it through the night? What am I going to learn about human nature, how we treat each other? Yeah.
0: Because even if you don't get um, kidnapped onto a pirate ship, if you get roped into a meeting at work that you weren't expecting and somebody blindsides you with something, I don't know, but I suspect that a lot of the things that we have dealt with in fiction or some other nonfiction is subconsciously helping us to make a decision on how I'm going to handle this moment when I'm blindsided oh, in a meeting.
1: subconsciously and sometimes consciously we really do sit and think oh yeah you know and that's what we take i mean that is the power of story that's why that's why writers and storytellers are the most powerful people on the planet because it's not like they step forward and tell you what to do it's that you are literally in your protagonist's skin in their head the brain being like the you know the command center of the novel as they go through that change and realize those things and so since you're seeing through their eyes at the end when they have that aha moment their realization becomes your realization in fact they've done functional MRI studies that show when you're lost in a story same areas of your brain light up that would light up if you're doing what the protagonist is doing I mean it really think of story like it's the world's first virtual reality you know you are there and you don't have to wear that stupid geeky visor rift or whatever that thing is. It's like, you don't even need to, to, to put that on. It's, that's how we see things. And I think also just circling back, interestingly, to what you said about, you know, uh, you know, there's a lion and you, you better be careful. I think that that part of, of, of part of what's hard about being a human now is that we're wired to live in a world we don't live in anymore. Meaning, like, 100,000 years ago, I don't mean, like, the 50s. I mean, like, right. like, and so people are always going, why are we, why are, why do we fall for sound bites? You know, why are we so easily like taken in? And it's because, well, we're hardwired to respond to exactly what you just said. Lion, run. Okay, I'm going. Yeah. So we're not, we're not used to being able to think about what's your five-year plan, because when we were wired five years, making it to tomorrow was like <laughs> your accomplishment. So I always think we should be kinder to ourselves about that, you know, on that, on that level.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought that through in words, but I like it. That's a good thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's and again, you know, that's what stories that's what stories do. Stories take us in and they change how we see everything. Yeah. And that is the power that they've got, but in order to do that, you have to really write a story. It's like that 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 that, that phrase I that that quote I like so 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 much because people People wanna think about, well, I wanna write a story. So they wanna learn how to write and they wanna learn about writing. Really bad idea, not the point because that's, that's not what you need to know. What you need to know is story and, how to, and what a story is and have a, have the makings of a story before you can write it. When I say the makings of a story, I'll say, and it's like, I don't mean like what's going to happen in the story from page one forward. But if it's, if it's just about writing and not about story, you think, well, why do we need to talk about story? If you wrote this book called Wired for Story, if we're wired for story and it's there like in the architecture of our brain already, which it is, why do we need to learn about it? And the answer, the, the problem is we're wired to recognize story. We're wired to respond to story. But reading right. a story is completely different. And it's that quote that I, I wasn't going to forget, I'm totally going to say the quote that I like so much, which, uh, which, uh, w- which was something that Flannery O'Connor, the great Southern writer, she once quipped in an interview, she said, I find that most people know what a story is until they sit down to write one. <laughs> I can't tell you how true that is. I mean, it's really, in, you know, in my experience, I mean, I can't tell you how many manuscripts I've read where if you said to me, what's it about? I'd go, it's about 300 pages. I have no idea. It's just a bunch of things that happen. And that's the problem. And again, yeah, I think the, the problem, you know, the thing that I, <laughs> the place where I, I'm probably the most incendiary um, is is I think that the two, schools of writing you know that are out there being a pantser meaning you write by the seat of your pants you start on page one you go forward or a plotter meaning you think about the external plot and you go forward i don't think either one of them work i think they will lead you astray i think that is why they say i mean statistics or whatever the the number out there you know from studies is is that out of a hundred people who sit down to write a novel only three of those hundred people are going to finish a first, just a first draft. Ninety-seven wow. people are going to go. You know what? I'm going to go do something else at some point along the line, and I think that's I think that's why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Or I I would get guess in the ninety-seven, maybe one of the three, but probably somewhere in the ninety-seven are the people who are working on the same story for years in a row.
1: Right, right, right. And never quite get to the end, or never quite, or you get. You know, there are people who. I've had people come to me and go, yeah, you know, I'm trying to write and I get about 30,000 words in and then I don't know where to go and then I just stop it. So I've got like eight projects that just end right, right there right. and those 30,000 words probably are not very good. I don't mean, and I don't mean they're not, might not, it might be completely beautifully written. But, right. but there's no story there. There's no there there. It's just, again, a bunch of things that happen which, you know, in my experience, like I say, uh, you know, reading manuscripts for more decades than frankly, <laughs> I want to admit to being alive. Um, most of them, that's exactly what they are. They're just a bunch of things that happen. They're not a story. And that's because you can't start on page one. That's because there's so much you need to know and do specifically before you get there. So I was be- just going to
0: say, yeah, we've named yeah. the problem. Now, yeah. what are some of the solutions that you suggest to people?
1: I mean, here's here's the thing to think of. All stories begin and medius res, which is Latin for in the middle of the thing. And what that means is, is that page one of your novel is the first page of the second half of your story. The first half is what you need to develop first, because if you start with the second half, it's like The second half of what? (laughs) Yeah. So they're there, and now you're just writing forward generically. I mean, what you need to do, and again, I can't go through like like every every. That's what that's what my books talk about. Right. Need to figure out first is, you know, besides what are you writing about? It's like, well, then who's your protagonist? What is that internal struggle? Because the key thing to think about. I mean, if you want to, let's just talk about what a story is. How about that? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. That same description, that, that we could definitely talk about. And I think that would make this, this clear. So, so I'm going to say it because I'll say it twice. Like I always, <laughs> always do when I do this, and I'll try to say it slowly because I know I talk super fast. Okay. So what a story actually is, is a story is about how what happens affects someone who's in pursuit of a deceptively difficult goal and how that person changes internally as a result. And I'll, I'll say it again, a story is about how what happens affects someone who's, in a, who, who's after a particularly difficult goal and how that person changes internally as a result. And so let's break it down so we can see what a story actually is. So a story is about how what happens and that what happens is merely the surface of the story. And yeah, that's the plot. The plot does not come first. Story first, plot second. It is merely the surface of the story. And if I leave you guys with nothing else, it's that your story is not about your plot. It is not about the plot. And that is why, and this is like, again, another one of those totally incendiary things to say, and I, I, but I say it anyway. Um, (laughs) It was up to me. I would burn every story structure book from the hero's journey on forward. They imply that story is it has an external structure, and if you write toward that structure, you're going to have a story. Actually, that is how you end up with a bunch of things that happen. And the cheat of those books is that they use examples of books and movies that you're familiar with, and so you're already supplying the internal story, you're already supplying the struggle that that protagonist is going through internally, and so it's very easy to go, oh yeah, okay, so I'll make this happen on page 20, and that happened on page 50, and, you know, and then there's going to be that reversal, whatever that is, and then they're going to have the, you know, the, um, whatever, you know, whatever on page 150, etc., and, and again, you end up with a bunch of things that happened. So it's not about the plot. You cannot just look at a plot and then and then go from there. Stories about how what happens, that's a plot, affects someone, that someone is your protagonist. Your protagonist is your reader's avatar within the story. And and to kind of, to make the point, everything that happens over here in your plot, no matter how, how objectively dramatic it seems to be, birth, death, follow the Roman Empire, it's neutral and has no meaning unless it's affecting the protagonist. It gets all of its meaning and emotional weight based on how it's affecting your protagonist in the moment but not as a one-off, not like where your protagonist, you know, like doesn't like, hates cold weather and it's snowing over here in the plot so your protagonist is gonna, you know, stay home and have some cocoa but how it's affecting her, in pursuit of a deceptively difficult goal. And that you've probably, I'm sure you guys have heard it referred to as like the story problem, the story question, the plot problem. I'm gonna call it the plot problem.
0: Okay. And that is
1: that difficult thing that life is forcing them to confront. And it has both an external and an internal component, but there's something really difficult that they have to face and do because stories about change. And, and change is hard. The thing is all change is hard. All change is hard. Good change is as hard as bad change. It's just as hard home, you know, to get married as it is to leave home to get divorced. In fact, there are times it's easier to leave home to get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) So your protagonist is struggling. They've got to be struggling all the way through. So it's about how what happens, that's the plot, affects someone, that's the protagonist, in pursuit of a deceptively difficult goal, that's your plot problem. And how that person, meaning your protagonist, changes internally as a result. And that, my friends, is what your story is actually about. Story is about an internal change, not an external one. It's not Mm -hmm. about the plot. It's about how the plot affects the protagonist. It's that internal, not external change. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, my protagonist needs to change from what to what why does my protagonist need to change and that's aha as we said a minute ago all stories begin in medias res which means that your protagonist enters the story right if they're standing over here on the other side page one hasn't happened yet they've already got a long-standing problem that probably began a long-standing desire that probably began in childhood That they are now going to walk onto the page with, and that your plot is going to force them to go finally, really go after. But they also have a just as long standing misbelief something a misbelief about human nature not a misbelief about some factual thing but a misbelief about human nature about how we treat each other also that came into being very early in life that has been keeping them from getting that thing that they want and that has ricocheted through their life until your plot now is going to shove them forward and everything that happens in the plot as it forces them to go after that thing they want and yet at the same time really have to face and bring to the surface that misbelief and see it for what it is So everything that happens in the plot gets its meaning and emotional weight based on how it touches on that internal struggle. And the internal struggle is something that I call your novel's third rail. That's what gives meaning to everything. That is what, when you ask me, like, like, where did this come from? That's what I realized in reading, that if it wasn't affecting someone in terms of this, this goal that they had, and they were feeling something, and then it was forcing them to make some sort of internal change in every single scene in terms of how they saw something, it was just a bunch of things that happened. Yeah. So so that's what you know, that's what a a story really is, is about when people talk about narrative thread. And you think, well, that means the plot. Totally untrue. Narrative thread is this internal struggle, because the plot, again, is one problem that grows escalates and complicates from from beginning to end actually that started much earlier in your protagonist's life the same thing is true of of their this combination between the misbelief and the desire and you have to know a hundred percent what those things are not as a one-off not as a sentence not as a that can write it in a paragraph and sum it up but really going back and creating these these story specific moments that create the lens through which your protagonist is going to see everything when they step onto the page and that's going to have created a lot of those balls in play if we had more time we could talk about how that happens as well
0: yeah i was just thinking if i'm understanding you correctly the plot is actually going to come out of these struggles and and internal changes and the decisions that you make based on the struggle right
1: absolutely i mean okay and even if, let me give you an uh, uh, let me give you a quick example. Okay. Even if, let's say and a writer might go, okay, yeah, I I get that, but what about a a book or and I haven't read these books, but I have seen the uh Starz TV show. What about <laughs> Outlander? Let's talk about Outlander for a minute. Because, okay. You know, there she is, and you know, and if Claire is we're gonna say she's a protagonist, although we totally want to think about Jamie. But yeah. we're not gonna do that because then we won't do anything. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about Claire. And, and she's going to be, you know, it, for those of you who don't know the books, she, uh, you know, she, she, um, they, they kind of open and I think it's 1946. And mm-hmm. so she lived, you know, up until 1946 and then she's going to find herself very quickly in 17, uh, in 1743. Uh, uh, okay. So she's totally not going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a totally different, but yet It is her past that not only defines, and again, we don't have time to go into it, but it's who she was and what she knows and how she sees the world and what she has the ability to do that defines what she's able to do and how she sees the world in 1743, and in fact, that saves her. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you go on and on. But without that, we wouldn't have a story. We would just have some, you know, because she's very tough. She's very tough. She... I, again, I know I don't have time to go into all the details, but she's a very tough person who really could, you know, exist in 1743 relatively easily and have a skill because she's really good with like um, medicinal herbs, So which she can't take back there, you know, and do. Otherwise, if you thought of some, I'm just going to write a novel and I'll take some woman from, you know, from <laughs> yeah. and shove her into, into 17 she'd be walking around going, where's the loo?
0: (laughs) Yeah. My husband and I, and many of our friends have all discussed that if there ever is a zombie apocalypse, um, I will be the one who saves everybody else by throwing myself into the zombies because I have no useful skills if there's (laughs) not computers anymore.
1: (laughs) But that's, so, so you do need it really, no matter what, and you need all of this, um, Misbelief because the internal story that misbelief the plot is there to disabuse your your protagonist of that But of course a misbelief Is something and if I could just say what that is for one for kind of one second So because writers, you know, people might be thinking "Well, wait isn't a misbelief You know, isn't that like a fatal flaw? Like isn't that what you're talking about? Like they come on with a fatal flaw and fatal flaw although I admit it's it's, I used the term at some I would never use it again Because, (laughs) you know, let's face it when you think of fatal flaw it sounds so judgmental, doesn't yeah. it? This is going to kill you. (laughs) Like finger wagging, like you have a a flaw, like, you know, like you're doing it on purpose. You know, people say to their spouses, like they go, what did I, they go, you know what you did, you know, (laughs) totally implies that, you know, it's almost like it's a moral failing. And and I don't think that it's that, or the other term that you sometimes hear is wound, which is closer to the fact, but you know, if it's a moral failing, now your your protagonist is a reprobate. If it's, if it's a wound, your protagonist is a victim. And I don't think it's really either one of those things, a misbelief is something that happens early in life when we're trying to figure out how the world works, where we have one belief and something happens and it disabuses, us of, it disabuses us of that fact. And then we carry that forward. And the example that I like to give is imagine, you know, okay, your protagonist is going to be 29 when the story starts, but when she's nine, she, you know, comes from this very, um, Dysfunctional family, you know. And I always think, and I'm sure I said it then. Like, I don't know what a functional family is. Yeah. <laughs> me, is there even such a thing? I think I'd be more suspect of a, of a functional family than of a dysfunctional family, <laughs> I would wonder. But anyway, so she comes from a very dysfunctional family. A, it, it, she's got a single mom who works all the time. They don't have much money. She's got feral brothers and sisters, and she feels very alone. So she really wants to feel like she belongs, like what we all want. She wants to be seen for who she is and, and have people care about her. So at school, a group of girls are going to start this club, and in order to get into it, you have to get this little Japanese anime and it's a character she loves so she thinks great I'm gonna save up my money I'll get the doll she does doesn't get much allowance but you know she saves it all up so the day before you know they're gonna bring them to school and start the club she opens up her bank and like moths fly out and she's bereft you know money's gone and she's sobbing and her older sister comes over and goes you know I know we don't talk and you didn't tell me any of this but I care about you so much and I I, I see the look on your face and I know what was going on at school I asked and I, I just I, I can't stand to see you so sad I, I you need this so I took all my money and I got you an even bigger Japanese anime doll now at this point the protagonist is going oh my gosh, I don't need those. I don't need that club anymore. My sister, she sees me. She, I didn't have to ask. I mean, don't we all want that? Like somebody gives us what we need without yeah. us even having to tell them what it is. Yeah. So she's like in that that, you know, seventh heaven kind of place. And then her sister says, but you know, i spent all my money on that and i'm going out with ralph tonight and if i don't pay he's gonna dump me and mom hasn't given me my allowance since i crashed the car and you know that wasn't my fault and she's got a hundred dollar bill in her purse in the kitchen and i know that's for food but i'm not hungry are you and you're so cute couldn't you just go in and distract her for a minute and at that minute at that moment the protagonist has an aha moment you know that light bulb goes on It's like wait a minute. You know, do that because you cared about me. You did that because you're trying to use me. You want, are trying to manipulate me into going in and doing now. Now here's the thing about a misbelief in that moment. That was true. She's absolutely right. That was an adaptive belief. Holding on to that probably really helped her a lot you know in her life and you know she's only nine so she's got a long time left in that in that family and at that moment she probably also turned to her past and and thought of similar times and went oh my god now i get it yeah so that so that that while that was you know while that was adaptive there if you take that belief out into the world you know the nicer someone is to you the more they're only trying to use you going to be misreading a whole lot of people and you're going to do a lot of things against your self-interest not because you're stupid not because you're selfish not because you're flawed but because life taught you something that turns out not to be true yeah that's what a misbelief is and and it it will it will catapult you know snake through ricochet through the protagonist's life and and it doesn't stay you know solid from that moment up until from 9 till 29 In that time, it would have picked up supporting misbeliefs, Right. picked up other things that would, would, you know, that would make her think, oh, yeah, that's true. And other things would have spun off of it up until we get to the, you know, to when the story starts. Because, of course, what did this girl want? She wanted connection, which I think at the end of the day is what everybody's writing about, the cost of human connection. You know, what does it cost me? And so, so anyway, so that's what a misbelief is. And without that and how it's, you know, ricocheted through your protagonist's life, even if, you know, they do get taken back to Scotland in 1743, or if it's like Matt Damon and he's on Mars now or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. It's still going to, it's still what your story's about. Your story is about that, not about the things that happen.
0: Yeah. I I have to say, um, and I have mentioned this to you before When I went to see uh, Black Panther for the first time, because I have every intention of seeing it like a million more times, (laughs) I love DVDs, so just for that reason, uh, I've been waiting for that movie to come out for months and months and months, and so, of course, that doesn't give you high expectations, (laughs) but uh, so I had just been listening to you just uh, a week or two or something like that before we went to see the movie. And my mouth is practically hanging open in the first two or three minutes of the movie where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what Lisa was talking about in in two minutes, which in a novel is probably something that you would um, – Uh, weave through as you learn more and more about the protagonist and and it would be backstory that you're learning as you go or you know some people do a prologue but in a movie having these two or three minutes where you find out this happened and because of that that happened and because of that that happened and that person thought that and therefore acted that way which made that person think this which made him act that way and all of a sudden you knew exactly where you were at the at the true start of the movie three minutes later and I was like holy cow that was amazing yeah,
1: yeah, it it plays all the way through. I mean, yeah, it it plays really all the way through, and I don't want to I don't want to talk about it too much, only because I don't want to give anything away for people right because like, it's so. It was really. And it was a wonderful, really wonderful movie. It was because I'm not a lover of—I uh, don't see any of the Marvel movies like at all. Like I just—I don't understand superhero movies. I don't <laughs> movies. I don't go there. And I loved it. On I was so surprised at how at how I I was prepared to love it on many levels, but not on every level. And yeah. you know, it was it really was a wonderful movie. And you come out you do come out, change, you do come out, see, and the protagonist, the Black Panther, he does change, you yeah. really see that change, and, and his dad, All I mean, you go back, and he, he has that crisis of faith, it's good, yeah, No, know, it really, but again, in talking about backstory, and, and can we talk for one second about yeah. how to get in, and the difference between, I mean, the difference between a novel, you know, or even a memoir, just just prose and, and movies or TV or, or plays, is that, you know, novels can take us to the one place that I think really, thankfully, although who the heck knows what they're doing in Silicon Valley right now, we <laughs> can't go yet, which is to what someone's actually thinking. That's what we come to story for. We come to story for, I see what's going on on the surface. I want to know what's going on beneath the surface. And so that really is what story does. And the way that backstory comes in is it comes in in the form of, not because the reader needs to, that's a big, I mean, there's so many writing myths out there. And one is you put backstory in when the reader needs to know this or that, totally wrong. Backstory, which which isn't to say that that isn't in your head and there are times where the reader does need to know stuff, but that's not why you do it, because that's an info dump. You bring it in when the protagonist or, you know, point of view character is struggling with what to do in the moment. And that is where all of that comes in, because that is what we do. What we do is, is we, when we're stuck with what to do, and we don't know and we have to actually think about it, our thinking brain comes up we our cognitive unconscious, which makes, I think that what do they say that we make um, uh, 35,000 decisions a day. And of those decisions, we're aware of, of 70 of them. Yeah. You know, And the bulk of them are like, do I wear the yellow socks or the paisley socks? And stuff <laughs> yeah. like It doesn't even matter. But that thinking part is for when you don't know. And what you do when you don't know is you look to the past, which is why if you don't know story specifically, your protagonist's relevant past, what do they have to look at? Nothing. Yeah. Just some general thing. You've got to figure all of this out out first. That's how we make sense of stuff. In fact, somebody just put up somebody just put up on Facebook in a, a story genius the workshop, the one that, that Jenny and I do, it's like a, a private Facebook page, about I think it was wired mag they're going, oh my God, Lisa, this is exactly what you say. And it was it was it's a thing that says the brain isn't made up of memories. The brain is memories. And and as I I think I I may have said that I had a client once who sent me, oh my God, this is, you know I just read, it was a review of a book called um, Why Time Flies, a nonfiction book. And it was a a line that had been pulled out of it. The the author had said, you know, neuroscientists believe that the brain is actually a time machine. Its goal is to store past memories in order to predict the future. That's what we do. That is cool. we We rip through. And the thing is, start looking now. If you think, oh, but that's not really, or, oh, you know, don't tell us what people are thinking. That's for the reader to figure out. No, it's not. It's for you to put right there on the page, but not thinking like, you know, like like going down memory lane because it's so fun, but because they're in the moment and they've got to because they got to figure out what to do. And if you, if, if you want to like like try this test out, I had another uh, client who said, you know, I wanted to see like how that works. She said, so I'm reading, she was reading um, Sharp Objects, which is, uh, you know, Jillian Flynn who wrote Gone Girl, that's her first novel. And that's she right. said, I wanted to see that. So, so she took a highlighter and I'm highlighting, and I thought I would highlight everything that's backstory and this internality that we're talking about. She said, I'm halfway through the book and I've highlighted 60, that's six, zero percent of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because most of it is that and writers do it so well, we don't realize it. Yeah. We haven't left the story present. I mean, when I'm reading, when I'm reading, uh, you know, uh, Hunger Games, we're nothing but in Katniss's head. As she's figuring right. out what to do and what things mean. Yeah. That is what it is, what, we're, what, what those people who tell you don't do it, they just mean don't do it poorly. But the writing is taught wrong everywhere. I so firmly believe, 100%. I've never read anybody where I went, yeah, I think that's so. Because it's filled with all of these myths that just aren't true. And then, you know, it keeps writers away from it. And kind of the last thing I'll say is that to do this other work, writers will go, yeah, but I want to do the real writing. I want to get on page one. To which I would say, well, what is this, like chopped liver? But here's the thing. (laughs) This isn't pre-writing this isn't research this is writing because that 60% it's just that, that while we read books in you know page order very or page 1 going forward we don't write books that way writing is not a linear process all of this work i'm talking about that you really need to do so you have a story then it's catapulted into the story in the form of both the balls in play and like what's happening cuz most stories do are about people who, who continue to live their life, so the balls in play that they started in their past are, are still there. But mm-hmm. but also how they feel about it, what it means to them, what they want, what this misbelief is, the memories are going to flash through their head as they try to figure it out. All of that. Is a, otherwise, if you start writing a book and you're just either going to do a plot, bad idea, you know, it's not about the plot, um, or, or, or be a pantser, which I think is the worst idea ever. I just honestly think that is just the worst idea. I'll do I've said it. I think it's <laughs> worst idea ever. It's like saying, I'm going to write a 300 page book about the most important turning event in somebody's life who I know absolutely nothing about. I mean, if a stories about how someone solves a problem they're forced into, how can they solve it? You haven't even created that yet either. So how are you How are they solving it? Based on what, with what? It's just, it's that old myth that writing is some mystical, magical thing and that only people with talent can do it. And it just isn't true. It just isn't true.
0: And yet there is definitely a difference in the way that people think, Then, let me say that more specifically, in the way that writers think and create stories. And I'm talking about like good writers that like we are, we are happy to say that is a good writer. Um, so it does make me wonder what is going on in a panster's brain? Like what neuroscientifically, you know, are they doing that they, or what do they think they're doing that they call it pantsing? Okay, um, do
1: you mean people who are successful? Yeah,
0: successful. Because, you know, like um, Susan Elizabeth Phillips and Jane Ann Krentz, I think those are the two people that I'm talking about. Um, They come to the Romance Writers of America National Conference like every year, nearly every year. And they're friends and they talk together. And one of the things that seems to come up, Mm -hmm. you know, almost every single year is that one of them writes a draft and then rewrites and rewrites. And one of them, like, by the time they get to the end, they've already rewritten you know, the same amount of times, right. but in their mind, they've created one first draft that they're publishing, but right. they're just doing it differently.
1: Well, that, yeah. I mean, and that's a, a completely different thing because of, of those two, I would say the one who says I write and I rewrite as I go is the smart one. <laughs> the Interesting. one who's saying, and, and, done, but I think, I mean, some people, and this is, this is my, my theory, but some people have a natural sense of story. Some people, I don't think it's—I don't think it's the muse writing through them, or they just have talent. They just have a natural sense of story, and they can create all of these layers at once. Because I mean, we don't have time to go into what all the layers were, and every character has their own agenda, and every character, like a protagonist, steps onto page one with an agenda already fully formed. They don't get it once they get onto page one; they, they've already got it as they're yeah. going. So that some people, yes, they have it. It's not talent though. It's just, they can, it's kind of like the difference between you know, mathematicians where if, if you were going to do a math problem, it would take you all day. You see the, those, those things where like every, every chalkboard in the room has got some equation in it. And it took me a year to do. And then Einstein walks in and he takes one glance and he tells you what the answer is. It's because he's already got the, if you want to talk about the 10,000 hours or whatever, he's already got that. Some people have that naturally. Yeah. They can do it other people it takes more but it's not talent and I also firmly believe that one of the biggest mistakes that writers make is listening to very famous successful writers talk about writing never do that like do not do that because they've got that thing they've got this way that they do it and it works for them it doesn't mean it's right or the way it's done or that it'll work for you it's usually depressing (laughs) you know They've got that, yeah. It's like I remember listening to, uh, uh, oh God, what was it? Uh, uh, Harlan Coben talk about that. And some of the stuff he said was good, which was, you know, if he if he stops writing or, or if he pulls something out, because people have so hard time, you know, getting rid of their darlings. He goes, I'll yeah. just make a folder and I'll put it in that folder and I'll think I can bring it back if I want to. And for every book I start one, and he said, and uh, they're usually about seventy-five pages by the end, and I've never brought anything back. So it's like <laughs> yeah. good advice, totally good advice. Um, but but he says, yeah. And as I get toward the end, I'm writing like 75 pages a day. And I'm just going forward. And if you're watching an audience hear that of writers, you start watching, you know, like shoulders go down, like people are like, and they're thinking, I guess I can't be a writer because I could never do that. Or that one of the quotes I particularly detest is Elmore Leonard, his, you know, like writing a novel is like driving a car in the fog or the dark, you know, you don't know where it's going, but you can just see the head And maybe for him, most people are going to drive off a cliff. Just- yeah. <laughs> Work that way. So yeah. Really bad advice. I, I think, yeah, I think most famous writers give the worst advice ever. Also, because, and then I'll shut up, I know I'll talk. Also, <laughs> because if you don't, if you don't, if you never had to deconstruct story, if you don't know what it is that is, if you are one of those people that just sits down and writes, you don't know what you're doing. How could you teach anybody? You can't teach something you didn't have to learn yourself you absolutely yeah. as you know cognitive scientists will tell you that you have to learn it so they really do think that you just sit down and then you start writing, you know, if you have the talent, and if you don't, oh well. It's like, I mean, the first, the only thing I ever got published in the New York Times, because I never tried to, but it was a letter to the editor, and it was like, what's her name? Jahala Lumpuri, who wrote the namesake and all that. And she had written this piece about the sentences of my life. And she goes, I just sit there and I write sentences, and they just come to me, and I don't know how they're gonna be together. But then at the end, I got a novel, and I just wanted to punch her in the face. It's <laughs> like, really? Well, maybe that works for you, but if you're giving that advice to everybody else, you know, you should be quarantined. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. And you know, it's
0: it's funny well, because you were talking about Outlander earlier, yeah. and when I, it might have been my very first uh, writer's conference um, that I went to with the Romance Writers of America, and Diana Gabaldon, the author of Outlander, was there, and it was, um, if I remember right, it was still early-ish in the... Um, Like the six, she was, Mm -hmm. she was already quite successful, but the success still seemed when you were in the audience, like it felt new to her. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, how long she'd been writing, but she has a PhD in something that will make anyone feel stupid. I can't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this woman is like so educated. She makes me feel like I know nothing. But the way that she was describing how she writes, I was like, I would have to just, jump off a cliff if that was the only way I knew how to write a book. Like I would never, I would, in a million years, I couldn't do it that way. Uh, but it was her way. It was the way that her brain put things together. And it was really interesting to listen to someone else talk about it. But I was so glad. It was just a panel of authors, not somebody saying, this is how you should do it. Right.
1: Well, the, but the problem is, is writers hear how another writer does it and thinks that is how you should do it. I mean, yeah. that really is the problem. Um, but
0: your books are like trying to lead them back to their, their road, that right?
1: Is that is my goal because of the, you know, I'm, especially these days, we need the power of story because here's the thing. While, while writers will sometimes eschew that, no, it's about art and I'm just going to sit down and I'll see what comes. The people who really know how to use story and know all of this way better than writers are marketers and televangelists and politicians. And right now, please storytellers, (laughs) save us. We're going off a cliff really fast.
0: Yes, yes. I, I totally agree with you.
1: Learn to be a storyteller, learn to be to bring us in, don't tell us because that's, I mean, again, not to talk about the right. The, the, the right knows how to tell a story, and the left wants to explain it to you. And nobody <laughs> wants things explained to them, like they just don't. Your analytic brain comes up and it's going to argue with anything that's explained. <laughs> yeah. you gotta really tell a story, and you got to know what that story is you know, that it is about that internal change.
0: So let's just um, real briefly give us an idea of what you think that is the, the way to c- approach your books. Like, should you read this one first if you're in this place in your storytelling or this one first? Um, should you try to you know have come up with some ideas before you start like tell us what you think that people are going to um, be best or or maybe there's different ways that people will be able to to get it the best and also be sure to tell us a little bit about this creative live class that you did i love those creative live classes
1: yeah it's it's again it's an amazing site um, and they're really nice people too, which was uh. really sort of thrilling. Um, I think, I mean, it's a really good question if you're, if you're writing and you just want to write, I think, I think story genius is the first one to pick up. Um, I've, I love wired for story. It's got much more science in it. I mean, that was the like brain science is my brand or whatever. Is, yeah. Is, is, But there's much more brain science in Wired for Story than Story Genius, because it would just be repeating it. And it was more like, here's how you do it. So if you want to, if you want some of the theory, which is really interesting, um, and it does have some how to in it as well, Wired for Story is definitely great. But, but if you're writing, I would say Story Genius, and whether or not, even if you are and, you know, maybe maybe you will be the person who doesn't need a page one rewrite, but even if you've written something, you can use it as a diagnostic, like is this, you know, does my, you know, is my novel... Um, is it hitting all of these marks? And if not, where is it missing? Because as, as Jenny Nash, um, again, and that was the cool thing about Story Geniuses, it was like, here's how you start and I want to give you an example, but how can I give you an example because I can't deconstruct something, someone I don't know what they did. So Jenny Nash, again, um, who's again, a great, she's a great, she, she, she works with, a, she's got a company called Author Accelerator that is, she's just such an entrepreneur. She's amazing. Wow. But, um, and like I said, she's my book coach. We met cause we both teach at UCLA extension. And so that's how we met. Um, and she said, Oh, well, I'll develop my next novel <laughs> within the pages of story genius. Which, oh, and that's the,
0: that's the, the example, example author. Right.
1: Like, that's the example all the way through. Exactly. And, um, and she thought that would be easy. We both thought it would be easy. It's like, <laughs> ah, Um, but, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you can sort of see that example and you can use, you know, your own, you can put yours aside and then see if you, if it it works anyway. And I think what I was actually going to say there was that what she will say is the same thing I will say is usually if you're having a problem with the end of your novel, it means there's a problem at the beginning. It always means that. It never means, oh yeah, let me figure out what this is. It means you had a problem from the beginning. 100%.
0: Interesting. Yeah. J- just as an aside, the book that just came out of mine in August. Um, at one point, I had a problem with the ending, and I went back and changed the beginning. But it didn't occur to me that that's because it was the right thing to do. <laughs>
1: yeah. No. Almost always, that will be what the problem is. And for most people, you're lucky if you just had to, to you know, to to tinker with the beginning to make it work. Usually, it's because something's off at the beginning, and when you change it, then it invalidates everything. And that's that's. Right. Not- each one rewrite, you know, suddenly starts to have to happen. Yeah. Um, so, so, so my books are everywhere or Amazon, which is of course everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. No stores. And, um, and me personally, you can find on my website, which is just wiredforstory.com. That's me. Excellent. Um, and then the thing I'm the most as I was as I was saying, Kitty, at the beginning, it's like the thing I'm the most inordinately proud of, is I just did a class um, for Creative Live, and if you guys don't know that site, it's really great. They do; they'll do a class and they'll broadcast it live first, and then they sell it after that. Um, and they've got and some- when it's
0: broadcasted live, I think it's always free, or at least almost always. Right.
1: Oh yeah. When they broadcast it live, that's the whole when they broadcast something live when they first do it it's it's free you can just watch it and then after that you can you can buy it so mine was already broadcast and you can buy it but it's <laughs> our workshop it goes through everything that's in the book and and a little bit more i think actually there were some some mm. other that you know that are are in there it's not expensive um and, and again just check out stuff at creative Live. the only drag about creative live um, and it's not a drag about it itself is that they don't have a dedicated writing channel yet. So if you like go there and you go, where were, would writing stuff be? And you're thinking, well, how could they have anything about writing? And it's literally in the channel that they call like money and lifestyle, which is, okay. and you only figure out it it's that because none of the others apply at all, but you can go <laughs> in Google and they call it wired for story, but the truth is it's story genius is, is, is what the book is. But I'm, I'm very proud of that.
0: Yeah. I have to admit, um, when I was trying to decide what the, the title of this particular episode would be, I'm like, Wired for Story is like the best title ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, and You know what? The publisher tried to get me to change it. Really? Yeah. 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 I totally, I just said, no, I'm sorry. That, that's what it is. They kept coming up with other stuff. And it was the only thing I was like, no, this, it's this or nothing, because that's what this is. Yeah. 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 It was just, I'm, I'm very happy that story genius wasn't was an easy one they didn't argue with me on that one and and actually the truth is I don't think I've ever admitted so long is Jenny's the one who came up with that Jenny said call it story genius and I felt because I'm one of these people that I am like so bad at self-promotion at all in any sort of a way yeah. that I thought geez that sounds so high and mighty what do I really want to do that and I'm now I'm happy that I did because I of course it It refers to, you know, the writer, not me, but it still felt like, oh, that's too much. (laughs) Anyway. So that's the story of the titles.
0: I love it. Lisa, this has been an awesome interview. I love talking to you about these things.
1: It's fun. I love talking to you too. It's really (laughs) fun. And to you guys out there.
0: Yes, everyone. I hope now there's a hundred other things that I wanted to ask you about, like how does this apply to nonfiction and stuff? Maybe you could come back in a couple of months and we'll take it in another direction. Maybe something that you've recently started talking about then or...
1: Yeah, because story, story, nonfiction is the same thing. Story, story, regardless yeah. of genre, regardless of format. Because we're wired for it. So it's not like we're wired for some, you know, yeah, same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Excellent. And I have to say, um, I am probably going to try to reach out to your friend Jenny. <laughs> she yeah. sounds very, very interesting
1: also. Uh, yeah. yeah, Jenny Nash, J-E-N-N-I-E-N-A-S-H, or, or look at Author Accelerator. She's um, she is she is such a dynamo. I've never met anybody who can do so much so fast so well. I just wow. She takes my breath away always. Nice.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here with us.
1: My pleasure. I look forward to circling back around and our paths crossing again soon.